Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast, live edition. We are going to talk about guns today. Yeah, because uh, I, I couldn't think of anything less controversial. No, we're, we're going to talk about, I think, an important topic because this is being discussed right now as we speak uh, in, the, in the world. It's uh, being discussed in the church as well in light of the shooting that just took place in Nashville a few days ago. And the question is, should we have church security? How extensive should that church security be? Should we have school security if we have a Christian school? Uh, should we, as just believers, uh, because we hold views that are considered um, by some very dangerous and they would seek to persecute based upon that, should we carry firearms with us? And, and different states have different regulations on this. The one I live in is uh, fairly restrictive on this question. Uh, but I want to get into some foundational principles from the Bible. I want to think through some things. And maybe some of you in the chat will have stuff to add to this that I didn't even think of. Uh, there's so much. And I think it'll surprise some of you, honestly. It, it surprises me a little bit to see how many things in scripture actually do relate to this topic, but we hardly ever discuss them. And and it's like that on a number of topics. There's a number of topics out there that we love to pull uh, idea. Well, we, we love to go to general principles and then form our conclusions based upon what we think those general principles mean. For example, uh, the concept of whether or not LGBT people to, to uh, people who think they're LGBT should be, included and to what extent they should be included in Christian assemblies. That is a question that the Bible uh, has principles and it has passages and examples and uh, uh, places we can go to find the answer for that. But what we see in the, even now, people who call themselves evangelical, but they're on the left, what we see in those circles is an appeal to very general principles. And we see this on a lot of issues, uh, other issues too, just uh, it's loving, though. Isn't it loving? Isn't it? Uh, isn't Jesus the? Isn't his example one of loving? Isn't that the general thrust of Scripture? And as soon as I start to hear that, well, the general thrust of Scripture, the general narrative, or the general direction that Scripture uh, takes us is, is A, B, or C. I. It's not that that's a wrong thing to say because there are general trends and principles, but my yellow flag goes off in my mind because I've heard it so many times on on issues like the one I just mentioned, issues of, of women in leadership in the church, uh, issues of uh, social organization, and just there's a bunch of things. And it, it's it, now firearms uh, is an issue that I want to address today on this. Uh, and there's actual examples, there's specific things, and we don't want to use these supposed general principles or trends, or purposes in Scripture to override what Scripture actually says on these things. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at what Scripture actually says on the topic of using lethal force. There's no firearms in the Bible, obviously. They didn't have firearms yet, right? That's just silly, someone who says that. Well, they didn't have firearms yet. Well, of course they didn't, but they did have swords. They, they did have um, opportunities to use lethal force. For the purposes of protection, that's the question. Can Christians do that? Some disagree. John Piper disagrees, and that we're going to actually use an article that he wrote in 2015 to discuss this some. So 
anyway, it's relevant. Uh, I got a, a text this morning about this topic, and I thought this would be great. We, we've covered it to some extent before, but this will be, I think, a little bit more in-depth and uh, hopefully a good reminder for those who maybe already think that uh, this is uh, something that they have formed in their mind as far as an opinion. Okay, um, before we get started, one thing I just want to mention to you all, and it is related uh, to the topic in question today. Um, I want to make you aware, if you haven't yet, of Equipping the Persecuted. EquippingThePersecuted.org. EquippingThePersecuted.org is where you can go. And they are busy giving aid to Nigerian Christians. This is a great organization. And not only, and this is how it relates to the topic today, are they interested in giving the gospel to Nigerian uh, believers uh, or people in, in these circles, in believer circles who may not be Christian. So that there's a missions effort to this. But I, I would say primarily, as the name implies, they are focused on giving aid, uh, giving um, uh, food and uh, water, but also defense resources like walkie-talkies and body armor and things to prevent uh, violence from occurring against Christians and Muslim on Christian violence. And so they're doing something that I was, I've thought about for a long time uh, when I get these reports, mostly from places like Voice of the Martyrs about what's happening in these other places and how Christians are being bombed and shot. And it's so horrible. And I think, well, is there any attempt to organize any kind of resistance to this? And um, often there's not, and, and I've talked to Judd Saul uh, about that and, and asked him why that is. And it, it sounds like it might be different in different areas, but where he is, it sounds like there is a general passivity that Christians have been taught about uh, just accepting persecution. And, and, and there are circumstances to do that. There's no doubt, but that that's a general uh, rule that, that in any circumstance in which you have persecution, you just don't even take precautions. And, uh, I, and, and I would argue against that. And I think that equipping the persecuted is fulfilling a need here. They're also providing training materials for pastors. And so they are 501c3. If you are compelled to donate to help uh, brothers and sisters in Nigeria, go to equippingthepersecuted.org. That is equippingthepersecuted.org. Okay. Uh, trying to think if there's anything else before we get into the main topic here. Uh, two things that I was going to mention just just as a follow-up to yesterday, very briefly, uh, to, to the Nashville incident. Uh, and, and I had said that secular media outlets were starting to correct their use of the, the wrong pronouns for the, the shooter. Uh, and sure enough, that's starting to happen, I guess, in more left-leaning Christian uh, outlets. And so, and I, and I haven't gone on Twitter to do a deep dive on this or anything to find out who's saying what, but uh, I figured I'd at least share with you uh, some of this. So you have, um, this is a, a Julie Royce, who's a, a blogger uh, this morning, uh, or I guess this was on the 27th. So this was actually pretty quick. This was in the evening of the 27th. Uh, she wanted to correct the article on her blog. Shooter was a trans man. My apologies. Police initially referred to the shooter as a woman. Then some media reported the shooter was a trans woman trying to keep up with this developing story. And someone says, are you referring to Audrey Hale using female pronouns on purpose in your article, Julie Royce? And she says, no, it's just been a very confusing 24 hours. So so there you go. Uh, and to the Daily Wire's credit, at least their Morning Wire uh, podcast or 
yeah, I guess it is a podcast. Uh, they did not use the preferred pronouns of the shooter. They actually use the accurate biological uh, rooted in the creative order pronouns. And so they did not capitulate on that, but you have people like Julie Royce capitulating. And, and it's sad to see that among people who claim to be Christians and evangelical in particular. You also had this, someone sent this to me, Nate Collins, who uh, is on the Revoice train uh, or was in the PCA. I guess he's not in, I, I don't know exactly where he's at right now, but uh, it says uh, president and founder of Revoice. So anyway. He uh, responded to someone else who I would consider more on the left and evangelicalism from the little I've seen, Danny Slavich. I'm not, I think he's a, is he a pastor. I don't really know, but he posted something uh, and he said, um, it, it's of the Daily Mail US. Nashville mass shooter was rejected by her Christian parents. And it says trans outcast. And Danny Slavich said, they're actually trying to position the person who systematically murdered children and their protectors as the victim. And this is what's happening, it seems like in real time that uh, you're seeing this narrative that there's really two victims. There's those who died being murdered mercilessly uh, by a, an evil person. I mean, actual murder. And, and that being compared to like a moral equivalency being drawn or, or at least not whether or not it's moral equivalency, trying to draw some attention to the fact that, well, you know, she was a trans outcast. She was she was rejected because of uh, her choice to to or her, her her identity or whatever. And so Nate Collins response says, in all sincerity, do you not understand that it's possible both that the perpetrator committed unspeakable evil acts, but also suffered a devastating form of parental rejection? Hmm. Devastating. Right. We're going to use that word. Devastating form of parental rejection in the context of something truly devastating here. For the sake of our Christian witness, for starters, please don't minimize the latter. Wow. So it's minimizing to point out that this narrative being spun right now to posture this person as a victim, this shooter, this murderer as the victim, uh, that is apparently minimizing if, you, if you're against that because that victimhood must be noticed and then those preferred pronouns must be used y'all this is not just out there in the world i mean it, it is in the world but this is happening in real time this is nate collins this is julie royce yeah they're more i would say considered to be more more on the progressive side they probably would both call themselves conservative because that, that word in our circles if you don't uh, that's just consider you're done. And, and plus conservative, oftentimes they just mean by that they believe in uh, the deity of Christ and they believe that um, in repentance for salvation or something along those lines, or, or at least they assign a statement that says that and they, that makes them conservative or something. But uh, as you can see, capitulating on, on things that are this fundamental, that's not conservative at all. I don't even know what you're conserving at that point if you're going to capitulate on pronouns. So uh, that's what's happening out there a little bit. I want to share with you, though, uh, switching gears here to the main topic, uh, this article from 2015. This article from 2015. Um, this is a, an article from John Piper. It is on the Desiring God website. I believe this is the article, if I'm not mistaken, that was posted on... Uh, 
the Washington Post. I think it was the Washington Post at the time. Uh, they ran this article. And so this was accepted in the, the secular media to some extent. And it is um, really, and you can see why, it is an article critical of Christians who want to keep and bear firearms for the purpose of self-defense. And I thought maybe what we'll do is read some of this, and then um, I've created a, a flow chart that, well, not a flow chart, but a, a, I guess a cheat sheet, if you want to call it that, just a, a lot of information on one slide, Bible verses, etc., to challenge the assumptions John Piper is making here. So he starts off talking about an incident at Liberty University in 2015, where Jerry Falwell Jr. Uh, showed that he had, in front of the convocation, uh, of students that he had a firearm and was not afraid to use it and that they offered uh, classes at the school and encouraging students to basically be responsible gun owners. And and Piper took exception to this. And it, it's interesting in 2015, he's saying we're Christian brothers, which uh, now saying that about Jerry Falwell Jr. I, I don't think anyone would do that. But uh, at the time, uh, Piper thought he was. And, and then he gives his 10 point response. Now, some of these I've really some of them are the same point really he's just like you know peter said it and so did jesus so i combine it into one point so peter and jesus both said that we are persecuted and and that's the uh, suffering is the response not the violence so i'm going to just give you all 10 though real quick briefly uh he says the apostle paul called christians not to avenge ourselves but to leave it to the wrath of god and instead to return a good for evil and then he said that God gave the sword, the gun, into the hand of the governmental rulers to express the wrath, uh, that wrath in the pursuit of justice in this world. And he quotes from Romans 12 and Romans 13, which most of you are probably familiar with if you've listened to this podcast. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. And, and then it goes on to say that uh, the government bears the sword. Uh, if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He's an, a, he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That's the role of the government. So he's saying that it's the role of the government. It's not the role of people to do this, right? Secondly, his argument is the Apostle Peter teaches us that Christians will often find themselves in societies where we should expect and accept unjust mistreatment without retaliation. And he, he lists a, a number of verses here. Uh, from the book of uh, Second, is it, you know, First Peter rather, and um, if you notice, one thing I'll point out: I haven't gotten to my critique of this yet, but I, I do think I should point it out along the way that if you read these verses, for instance, verse two nineteen, this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. It's not instructing Christians to that they uh, that their only option is to suffer in any. Uh, situation of persecution. It's saying when you suffer, right? When you are f- find yourself in the circumstances, not uh, not this is exclusively the only circumstance you must find yourself in when the threat is presented. And, and I'll show you why I think that it's wrong to interpret it that way in a few moments. But you see these other passages, like it says, uh, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. And, and well, actually, that, that's going to fit into another point. So let me skip over that for a moment. I said, if you should, if you should suffer, right, if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. So it's an encouragement to Christians who are suffering severe persecution at this time. 
And if you should be the one, if you're one of the people, not everyone is, but if you're one of them who is suffering, then you will be blessed. Be encouraged by that. It is better to suffer for doing good uh, if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So you get a window into sometimes it is God's will that you suffer. Okay. So nothing opposed to that I have in my mind opposed to suffering or opposed to that being God's plan or opposed to this um, being part of the will of God in any way. But I do have a problem with going as far as Piper wants to go here, where he's trying to tell people that this is the response singular, right? This is the response. There, there isn't any other response. It's this response in, in this particular circumstance. Now, he tries to say the same thing about Jesus. And Jesus gives this uh, same basic instruction. Uh, Do not fear those who will kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So if we're not supposed to fear, then should we be uh, using firearms? Should we be trying to protect ourselves? Uh, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors. It's interesting. It says, beware of men. Beware. So Jesus is actually warning them here. He's not just, he's saying this will happen, but he's also saying, beware, like be careful about it. Try, in other words, try to avoid it when it comes up, because this is the intention of men. Now it's inevitably going to happen. And that's specific to the disciples. It was inevitably going to happen to them. But it doesn't mean that you just surrender at the first sign that this is going to happen. You don't seek to escape. You don't seek to evade. You don't seek to defend. Uh, he talks about Jesus's um, example, uh, saying the world is not our home. And, and so that we shouldn't be so invested here. And uh, he talks about um, see, some of these headings are so, it's like a paragraph for their he, for the heading. Uh, Jesus strikes the note that the dominant, not the only way Christians will show the supreme value of our treasure in heaven is by being so freed from the love of this world and so satisfied with the hope of glory that we are able to love our enemies and not return. So this is really kind of the same point he's making in four. He's just expanding on it. One of the ways Piper writes that, um, you know, I used to really read a lot of Piper, but it, it annoys me now. I think I, I don't know if it's because I went to grad school since then in seminary. I don't I'm not sure, but I don't like writing that's not tight for some reason. Um, I feel similar about it, it's funny, like I used to this is such a tangent, but uh, I, I used to read um, and I still do some occasionally. It's not as often, but I, I used to really like Doug Wilson's uh, blogs, too. And he because he's so pithy, he is so. Uh, when he writes on a political topic, especially sometimes you're you're laughing. It's so hysterical, right? And and as I've I I don't know what it is. Uh, as I've become, uh, well, I really maybe it's when I went through grad school. I've I, I I'm like skimming articles like that. It's not just him. It's others who write that way. And I'm like trying to root out all the fluff and, and just get. To, maybe it's because I'm short on time. Is that what it is? <laughs> you get older, you're tired. You just not as enough as much time to laugh and stuff. I don't know. Anyway, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm off on that, but, uh, anyway, this annoys me <laughs> Piper doing this. Um, he says, uh, the early church, as we see her in acts expected and endured persecution without armed resistance, but rather with joyful suffering. This is kind of the same point he already made that, uh, Peter's encouraging this. Jesus is encouraging this and look, the early church suffered persecution. So that's proof. Don't use firearms. And then when Jesus told the apostles to buy a sword, he was not telling them to use it uh, as an escape, uh, to escape the very thing he promised they should endure to death. So 
he, he basically makes an argument. If you read this, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says basically it's symbolic. It's a symbol. That's what's meant by the sword. It's, it's not a literal sword here. Uh, and I'll get into that later. Uh, a natural instinct, he said, is to boil this issue down to the question, can I shoot my wife's assailant? Now, this became the controversy in 2015 when Piper made the argument that he doesn't know whether or not he could. And he, he leans towards he, he would not defend his wife if she was being assaulted. Because that's not the Christian thing. And, and, and he has a seven part answer to this. And I would suggest to you, it's kind of crazy. It's just. I, I don't understand this thinking uh, quite, but there are pacifist traditions, mostly within Anabaptist circles, uh, that uh, like um, Ron Sider circles, that would believe this kind of thing. But this is not something that's usually you're going to find in a reformed circle. So Piper, Piper is, I think, outside of at least the magisterial reformers on this. Uh, then he says, even though the Lord ordains us to use ordinary means of providing for life, uh, nevertheless, the unique calling of the church is to live in such reliance on heavenly protection. So we should we should rely on God, not on ourselves. Do not trust in horses and chariots, trust in the Lord, which, of course, no one no one has an argument with. So it's not 10. I guess it's nine reasons that he has here. So now you've seen at least uh, some of the headings from the, arg the article. So, you know, in general, what his argument is. Now I just want to share with you uh, a response to this, and I, I think this will be helpful uh, for patrons. This is uh, available already on Patreon.com, uh, whatever my forward slash. I'm the worst at self promotion. If you go to what, what is my website? I guess uh, WorldviewConversation.com. But if you go to Patreon.com, uh, I guess it's forward slash worldview conversation. You can go to worldviewconversation.com and find it. Uh, you can find this or you can just screenshot it right now uh, and you'll have it uh, maybe in a lesser quality, but you'll have it. So um, th this is my, oh, and I should say, I should say as I'm in the, since I'm in self-promotion mode, please, if you are listening to this podcast on iTunes, I forgot, I always forget to say this. Uh, or or YouTube, really. But if you're listening to it on iTunes, please uh, rate the podcast or, or wherever you're listening to it. That does help drive the algorithm and expose more people to this content. All right, let's get into it. So arguments against Christians carrying guns. I've reduced Piper's arguments into six categories because he's really offering six. I don't think there's not nine. He extends three of them, but they can be merged with other categories. And the first one is that only the government, this is the assumption. I, I'm breaking it down, trying to make it tight here for you. Only the government, the police and military, is authorized to use lethal force. Only the government is authorized to use lethal force because God commands in Romans 13, government bears the sword, and it's only given to the government, and therefore it's not for anyone else. Now, here's the issue with that. There's so many examples that run contrary to this. Now, it's, it's not that the government is not given the sword. That's uh, true. That's the function of the government. What, though, isn't true is that that means the government is the only institution in society in every circumstance uh, that is capable or responsible for using lethal force. There are other circumstances in which, uh, and depending on the circumstance, those who are not technically government officials also are authorized to use force. Here's some uh, examples of this. And, and there's two categories I have here. Number one, there is a precedent for ecclesiastical and family units protecting themselves or their people. Okay, we'll give, I'll give you some examples. And number two, 
There's a long tradition of citizen soldiers and local community protection in our Western uh, Anglo tradition, really. So let's start with the first one. There is a precedent for ecclesiastical and family units protecting themselves or their people in the Bible. The priest Phineas killed Zimri when Moses did not. If you remember, this is when uh, the children of Israel were, were cursed and they were um, intermarrying, uh, taking for themselves brides from uh, pagans. And Zimri brings a, a pagan bride into, or a pagan, uh, I guess, bride, yeah, in, into his tent. And this is grieving Moses. It's grieving the authorities. It says, I think, the congregation in the passage. But these are leaders. And they don't do anything. They're just like depressed about it because they just can't believe this is happening. And remember, Zimri is a prince, it says, in, in the passage of his people. Like he's, there, there's some kind of, uh, I don't know, magisterial authority perhaps attached with that. But that didn't stop a priest. So this is an ecclesiastical function. This is not someone who is... Uh, the civil magistrate. This isn't someone who's responsible for leading people into war either. This is a priest whose job is to make sacrifices, to produce music. And, and well, I don't know if he specifically produced music, other priests did, but it, it's temple work. And Phineas kills Zimri. And here's the kicker. He was commended for it by God. God commends Phineas for doing this. You have uh, the sons of Korah, who were keepers of the gates of the tabernacles, it says in 1 Chronicles 9, 19. That means they were protecting, so this is with force, if necessary, the tabernacle, making sure people weren't going into the wrong places, weren't uh, stealing from it either. That was a problem throughout Israel's history was uh, when uh, nations would come and try to, to steal. That's where a lot of the uh, gold and precious metals were. The prophet Samuel executed King Agag when Saul would not. Saul, again, is the civil ruler, right? Romans 13 would be Saul, right? He was supposed to do this. It was his job to bear the sword to kill King Agag, and yet he didn't do it. So guess who did it? The prophet Samuel did it. And this was not seen as wrong. In fact, prophet Samuel is carrying out the command that King Saul was supposed to. So it's to King Saul's shame in this, this uh, passage. You have the prophet Elijah and the officers uh, that uh, were with him killing the prophets of Baal when Ahab would not. Ahab is the civil authority. Elijah is ecclesiastical authority. And yet you have Elijah participating in this, giving direction, orders to kill the prophets of Baal, to use lethal force. You have the priest Jehoiada uh, killing uh, or having Queen uh, Athalia executed. Um, you have uh, in the time of Paul, it says in Luke, this is actually time of Jesus and Paul, uh, Luke 22, 4, Luke 22, 52, Acts 4, 1, Acts 5, 24, and 26, all refer to captains and officers of the temple. So this precedent that you see in the Old Testament, the sons of Korah, keepers of the gates of the tabernacle, well, this this kept going. The, there, was, there were guards in the temple, and they were capable of using force. In fact, uh, it talks about this in Acts chapter 5. Um, I believe that's when uh, Peter's arrested and they don't want to, they don't harm him. They don't. They could have potentially, but they don't because they're afraid that they'll get stoned, that the, that the people around there uh, are going to protect Peter, which is another interesting facet, actually, that the, the people 
wired into them was this sense of uh, of justice that they would intervene as uh, if there was tyranny committed against him. Um, you have members of households. Um, this is this is actually a key one. Exodus twenty two. Members of households were not liable if they killed a thief breaking in their home at night. So if someone breaks in your home with the intention to steal, they don't even have the intention of murdering you, just the intention of stealing. Uh, members of households, you're not liable uh, if you kill that person because you're not aware of their motives. They may be there to kill you. Uh, now, if you catch them in the daytime, they have to make restitution. But if it's at night and you and you kill them, you are not liable. This is the law of God we're talking about here. So you have examples here of protecting one's house, protecting one's people, protecting uh, the uh, ecclesiastical uh, buildings and, and the, what would be inside of those things. All of this throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament to some extent, these examples. And so to try to say, well, it's only the government is authorized to use lethal force. Well, you'd have to explain all of this away. You know, it, it's not exclusively the role uh, or exclusively given to the government, but it's um, trying to think how to phrase this in the best way. Uh, the intention is to is for the government to be the one mostly responsible for this. But there's times the government's not around. When a thief's breaking into your house at night, the police aren't there to protect you. Be nice if they they could be, but they're they're not, right? Uh, when the police or the, the government doesn't do their job in protection, that falls to lesser magistrates and it falls to uh, eventually perhaps even the individual to protect themselves. So um, next section, uh, next objection to Christians having firearms is Jesus and Peter teach responding to persecution by suffering. The early church exemplified this. And so you have a pattern in the New Testament of suffering for the sake of the gospel and the truth of the word of God. And that, and the assumption here, again, similar to the first objection, is that this is exclusively the way that Christians should handle this. But there are circumstances, circumstances in which resistance is not a wise or possible option. That is true. Sometimes the deck is stacked against you. You, When you are in um, such a, let's say even today, you live in San Francisco versus living in, oh, I don't know, uh, the backcountry of, uh, you know, Kansas or, or Oklahoma, let's say, very conservative state. So you're in Oklahoma somewhere. Um, it's going to be a little different, right? The All the, the institutions around you in San Francisco, including most of the people who live there, even probably your neighbors, are going to be opposed to your beliefs if you're just a, an ordinary Christian, right? That's what San Francisco is like. And if uh, things progress or not progress, if they degenerate, really, uh, as they are, and uh, it, it does come to a point where there is active violence more normalized against Christians, or if it comes to a point where the state is arresting Christians for beliefs they've held for centuries uh, that are in the Bible, then where would you rather be? Obviously, you'd rather be in Oklahoma than San Francisco. But if you're in San Francisco and the, the, they come knocking on your door, the police come, you don't have possibly a lot of options. I suppose Yeah, you could try to resist right there what would glorify god more though you going down in you know blaze of glory and uh, and that being used as an example uh, on the news for how terrible christians are and how violent they are and then you're not around to support your family um or uh 
enduring it the way Jesus endured it when he was taken before uh, Pilate. Uh, it's going to be different though in Oklahoma, right? When someone comes to your house and, and wants to persecute you, they're probably not going to be represent representatives of the government. And if they are, it would probably be the national, not the, the local or state governments. And th these are opportunities for the local and state governments to function as lesser magistrates. It's, it's opportunities for your neighbors to stand up for you if that is a possibility in the scenario. It's a possible it's possibility um, uh, depending on the circumstance, I suppose. I mean, if this is like a we're assuming here they're knocking on the door. This, this is a very obvious thing. They are, are not trying to break into your house or, or anything. They're, they come to arrest you or something. Um, it is possible you say you have no jurisdiction here, right? And, and you make a stink about it or you, you, or you see a way out of it. Maybe, maybe you can uh, defend yourself and your family in that circumstance. Um, what, what I'm trying to say, I'm not giving advice to anyone to, to shoot your way out of a, a, an altercation with the police. Far from that. I'm not doing that at all. Um, what I'm saying is circumstances are very different depending on where you are. And that's just one example I think that we can relate to in our own country. Across the world, the circumstances vary even more. Uh, it's going to vary based on your capabilities. It's going to vary based on the responsibilities you have. It's going to vary based on what you think God wants you to do in that circumstances and how he's equipped you. What, what I'm saying, though, is, it is it, it, there, just because there's circumstances in which resistance is not a wise or possible option doesn't mean there aren't other circumstances where it may be wise or possible. Uh, Jesus did not always submit to force. Luke 4.30 talks about this. He, they, were, they were trying to kill him, and he slipped through the crowd. So he evaded them. And this is often Jesus's modus operandi. He evades, he questions. Uh, there's, uh, the, the Pharisees are nervous. They think they're outnumbered if they try to go after him. It's not the right time. Now, eventually to fulfill righteousness and God's plan, he goes to the cross, but that wasn't that it wasn't the first time that Jesus had been, uh, targeted for some kind of persecution and, and actually lethal force, uh, people trying to use lethal force on him. It had happened before and he didn't react the same way every time. So there's, there's different circumstances and there's different ways to react to even persecution. There are many threats Christians face that are not motivated by religious persecution. Also, you got to remember this. Uh, there are evil people out there who just want to steal to steal and kill to kill. And it's, it's not even because of, for the sake of the gospel or for the sake of your Christian beliefs necessarily. They're just dangerous people and they want to take for themselves. And so, um, so you have to remember that. And, you know, Jesus assumes that guarding one, one's house protects one's livelihood. He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed, Luke eleven twenty one. 21. Now, this, you could try to say that this is descriptive and not prescriptive. Sure, it's a description of Jesus, but Jesus is giving it as a positive example in the, in the context here. This is an assumed thing. This is a common sense thing, in other words. When you have a strong man who's fully armed, he, he has a capability of guarding his house. Guess what? The circumstances aren't like that. You you lack the strength. The, the deck is stacked against you. You're not uh, fully armed. You're you're not. Uh, your house isn't guarded adequately. Then your possessions are going to be disturbed. And and sometimes missionaries, when they go into areas where there's a lot of violence and there's not as much protection and they're weaker and they don't have the protections of civil government or the, you know, the laws that are in place or the uh, capabilities of, of carrying firearms, etc. they know that they're taking that risk. 
They know that they don't have that shield in front of them and they do it willingly because they're for a higher purpose. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, for, for perse being persecuted for the sake of righteousness. If that, I, I commend people who are willing to put themselves in those circumstances. But it, it, what I'm saying is it doesn't mean that uh, this is across the board, a one-size-fits-all approach to every form of persecution. So um, in my opinion, if you're going to pick out the strongest arguments or the less weakest are, I think they're all weak, but if you the, the least weakest, I think uh, the least weak argument is the one I just gave you. Uh, and I think this is the most compelling to most Christians that, uh, well, they suffer persecution. We, we should suffer persecution. I think that's why even Christians in places like Nigeria think that uh, they that that some of them, at least, think that that is the way to respond, to not defend yourself, to not even take basic precautions. Now, let's go into the, uh, some of the the other ones. These are going to go quicker. The world is not our home and Christianity is not spread through violence. So because um, my kingdom is not of this world, if it were, my servants would be fighting. John Piper and others want to say that this means that we should not use violence um, because the way that people are converted to Christianity is through the teaching of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. It's through, it's through the, the mind, it's through the conscience, right? So um, here's a passage, though, that I think will challenge this a little bit, at least some of the underlying assumption. The kingdom of God cannot be spread through violence, but earthly righteousness that supports the conditions for proper spirituality can be protected through violence. What do you mean, John? Well, Hebrews 11.32 talks about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Now, th this is a varied list. You have judges, right? You have king, you have uh, prophets, uh, you have... So, different ecclesiastical, uh, you have civil, uh, you have with the judges, there's even some question there about where they fit into this. But, um, people that God just raised up among their people, ordinary folks like, like Gideon, and God raises them up, and it says that they conquered kingdoms, uh, among other things, they became mighty in war and they put foreign armies to flight. Now, and, th and this is in uh, the Hall of Faith, this is what this is a positive example of what it looks like to live with faith and, and the what can be accomplished in living uh, with faith. I don't want you to miss, though, that there's lethal force being talked about here. How do you conquer a kingdom? How do you how do you do that? Well, uh, this isn't just a spiritual kingdom he's talking about. He's talking about mighty in war, putting foreign armies to uh, flight. And then if you read the accounts of these individuals, they actually did physical things. Now, does that mean they're spreading the gospel through violence? No, 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 not at all. Um, but that does mean that they are supporting civil righteousness on the, in the world, on the earth. They are supporting civil righteousness, which means they are supporting the conditions for proper spirituality so that it can be protected. Uh, so, so safeguarding the um, uh, people who want to worship the true God their conscience compels them in that direction. They are true followers of Jesus Christ. Protecting them requires force in, in the physical realm. There's two realms, though, being talked about here, and that's really why I think there's a conflation or a confusion that some want to flatten it all into the, the world is not our home, and so we shouldn't be concerned with it at all. It's it almost, I don't want to say it's Gnostic, that word gets so overused, but uh, it, it's 
the it's taking the physical and it's demeaning it quite a bit when we shouldn't do that. There's the physical, there's the spiritual, and uh, there's the temporal and there's the eternal. They're, they're separate. Uh, there's overlap to, in some in our own uh, selves. There's overlap in the church. You, you can see places where I, I suppose there's overlap, but but they are separate things. And so supporting righteousness through force in the public realm, in the temporal realm, you, you shouldn't have the view that I'm converting people through this. You're not. But you can be in an in indirect way supporting the church, even though that's not your primary objective. And it, it's interesting to me, this argument actually is a great argument for not even having the civil government using force, not having a military, not having a police force. So I think this proves too much for the people who are in this camp, because if they want to make out that, well, only the government should have the sword and then, well, Christians shouldn't, you know, use violence because that's, that's not spreading the gospel. The, the world is not their home. They shouldn't be concerned with earthly affairs. Then I guess Christians shouldn't be in government. I guess Christians shouldn't be police officers, right? Well, that's kind of ridiculous. Don't you want people who know God's law in those positions if that's what they're responsible for enforcing? Force is sometimes a necessary means by which Christians obey God's commands. Proverbs 24, 10 through 11 says this, If you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. Deliver those who are being taken away to death. Those who are being attacked, their lives are in jeopardy. Deliver them, right? This is this is something that is, it's in the Proverbs, so it's a general truth. Uh, but that's a general uh, understanding, I think, that Christians have had for centuries. You protect the, the helpless, the defenseless, those who are weak. How do you do that? You got to use force sometimes. Um, and the situation Piper brings up with his wife, I mean, that's a perfect scenario for this. Uh, deliver those who are being taken away to death. If someone's trying to kill your wife or your, your children or your, your family, then what do you do in that circumstance? Deliver them. How are you going to do that? Well, there's only one way. So uh, Christians... Here's the other argument, should not return evil for evil. Now, this assumes Christians are evil for defending themselves, so I disqualify this one right away. Christians are not evil for defending themselves. Uh, if it was evil to defend yourself, then again, this would extend to the military and the police as well. So you can't really have the first point here that uh, the government's authorized to use lethal force and then turn around and say, well, Christians uh, who are in the government, who you know, Paul even said to, that uh, authorized that it was fine to, to serve in the army, that Christians who are in that position uh, are returning evil for evil if they respond uh, with lethal force. Uh, there are going to be circumstances where you have to respond with lethal force. There have been circumstances in history where armies, uh, in fact, in the Middle Ages, this often happened, armies were uh, the ones that were fighting in religious wars, right? So Protestant versus Catholic. I mean, this is something we are far removed from, so we, I think, that, that might be one of our problems is we haven't gleaned from the history that we have. But uh, if you look back in history, Christians serving in those roles were preventing persecution in their minds. They were trying to stave off uh, the threat of, of uh, even bad theology and so forth. And so this ecclesiastical, the ecclesiastical interests often were in sacral societies um, conflated 
with civil interests. And, and it's relatively new uh, to have the kind of liberal democracy, quote unquote, that we live in today, a republic, uh, representative government. This is a very new thing in the history of the world. And um, it's we, we tend to think of it as normative. Uh, be, but anyway, Christians had uh, there are examples of this and uh, Christians are not evil for defending themselves, uh, whether that persecution is on the battlefield or if it's in the home. Matthew 5, 38 through 39, uh, which is um, where this argument comes from, is referring to personal insults. Uh, and and it, it's possible, actually, this argument was more from First Peter, but Matthew 5 also gets brought up a lot that turn the other cheek. And in the context, though, I think you'll see it's referring to personal insults is not referring to um, it's not saying just be everyone's doormat and let people walk all over you. Jesus references uh, to buying a sword is symbolic. That's the other argument. Now, this is an assumption, and it's a bad one. Luke twenty two thirty eight indicates there were two tangible swords that they brought to him. They said, is this enough? And he says, yes, that's enough. And it, you're forgetting, if you try to make that argument, that there's also money bags and belts involved here. Are those also figurative, the money bags and the belts? I guess you'd have to say the money bags, the belts, and the swords, all figurative, and the two that they bring to Jesus, figurative. That's ridiculous. No, there's real swords here. Jesus is saying, maybe there's, um, you, you could say that there's symbol, it's not even symbolism. There's, uh, he's trying to teach them that they're going to undergo hardship. And so here are the tools to be prepared for that hardship. And so it's foreshadowing, but that doesn't take away from the fact that there's two tangible swords right there that he's saying, you need these. These are tools. And what are you going to use those tools for? For hunting? No, it's not just hunting. <laughs> um, Jesus reference uh, to, okay, so the next one is Christians should trust God, trust in God, not weapons. This is the final one. Okay, so, and this is a simple response. Christians should not trust in weapons. That's true. Don't trust in horses and chariots. But that does not mean they should not use weapons, right? I mean, you could make this absurd. You could say uh, Christians should trust in God, not in the hymns they sing or the language they use or the, the copies of the Bible that they have or, you know, the buildings, the, the, their church buildings or their choirs. or And, and you, you think to yourself, well, that's ridiculous. If, if that's an argument for not using those things, we use those things because they are means by which God uses to fulfill his purpose. So why can't tools like swords or guns also be tools that he uses in certain circumstances to fulfill his purpose, to protect the innocent, as it says in Proverbs 24, 10 through 11? Why, why not? Or protect those who are being taken away to death? Well, there's no reason for it. And so I would say this comprehensively answers John Piper's arguments on this uh, and others who would make the same arguments, mostly from that Anabaptist tradition. Um, but but there are those even like John Piper in the Reformed world who seem to want to make these kind of arguments, and they're just not good arguments. They uh, lack comprehensiveness. They they, you run into all kinds of jams when trying to reconcile them with other portions of Scripture. And so if you want to try to come up with a balanced approach to this, which takes into account all of the counsel of God and what it says on this topic, then you're, you're going to have to look at the principles John Piper talks about, but you're also going to have to look at the other things Scripture says about this. And I think if you, you don't, you're not going to find contradictions in there, but what you'll find is that it's more complicated than I think many people make it out to be. 
And it is certainly well within uh, your right as uh, an individual to own a firearm and responsibly use it. This was just assumed for hundreds of years in our country. Even those who were pacifists, such as the Amish uh, and, and certain Mennonite sects, most of them also had firearms for other purposes. Uh, and, and I wonder whether or not this question of should Christians own guns, should Christians carry guns, is more a reflection of just how modern we've become, how displaced we are from the farm, from rural life, from the hardship that used to occur in life, and, and how much now we don't rely on these things because we have an easy life. Uh, with our technology, most of us probably living in suburbs uh, or um, areas where there's a lot of services available. It was not always like that. And one of the areas that I, I probably should cover a little bit right now, I didn't really cover it earlier, uh, is that uh, there are jurisdictional questions oftentimes. Um, you had this in our revolutionary or, or war for independence. You had, are we going to submit to parliament or are we going to submit to the local committees of correspondence? That's a good question. Are we going to submit to King Saul or King David? That's a good question. Who are we loyal to? Ukraine or Russia? Because yesterday Russia occupied this area and now Ukraine occupies it. Who's the rightful authority who's capable of bearing the sword? Uh, or, uh, you know, this gets very complicated. You're switching allegiance every day if you live in the some parts of uh, eastern Ukraine, I guess, if you're going to take Piper's very simplistic view of some of these things. And um, really what you have to do is you have to pick a side. You have, to, uh, you have to identify legitimate authority. And I think that's somewhat organic. And that's hard for us, too, because we are accustomed to the modern state. And in the modern state, uh, at least the appearance is nothing can be organic. Everything must be top-down controlled. Uh, democracy is the sacred mechanism by which, supposedly, uh, we, uh, we, we seed or give our authority uh, to the government. And, and, and now it's not even viewed that way. It's really just the government automatically, it's assumed, has authority. And, um, and now we're becoming more and more slaves and less and less citizens. But they'll still tell you and they, they will teach and they want you to think. They don't want you to think of it that way. They want you to think of it that you, are, you have the power. You, you uh, as a, a body politic, have ceded uh, your power to the government. Well, what happens in a situation like the war for independence where the body politic is actually ceding their authority or sovereignty, some people use that term, to now committees of correspondence, so local governments over parliament, which is distant and which is making war on them, which is violating their rights as Englishmen. Who, who do you obey? Uh, we have similar issues of jurisdictional problems to be resolved in our own country when you have states and then national or general entities and they conflict on something. You had this with Roy Moore in the uh, case years ago in Alabama with the Ten Commandments. Um, you, you, had, you, you had this to some extent with uh, even on the left with some of the issues pertaining to the legalization of marijuana. Uh, but um, on the right, there, there's a constant clash between uh, for example, Governor DeSantis and uh, the governor of Texas and other border states and the national government uh, that won't enforce the, the laws that they're supposed to be enforcing. Um, I, I don't remember who, what governor it was 
this was years ago now, but I remember there was a big controversy that Arizona was going to try to do what the, the national government was not doing in protecting its citizens. And it became this big, big deal. Well, what service, what function is the government supposed to carry out? It's supposed to be protecting its people primarily. And how does it do that? The sword. And so if you have a failure on one level, then the slack needs to be picked up. And, and who's going to do that? It's going to be a lesser magistrate. And there's a good book on this called The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate by Matt Truella, if you want to know more about this. Another book, by the way, that has some good stuff on this. And I don't know everything that Pastor John Weaver's written, but I happened to get a hold of this book a few years ago. It's called The Christian and Civil Government. And um, th this is a decent book, uh, very accessible, I would say, on, on a layman level. And it, it talks about some of these issues as well, these jurisdictional issues. And um, my only point isn't to solve all of that, but just to tell you that it is more complicated. And uh, and right now, I would say to, to bring it home uh, in Nashville, what happened in Nashville is an indication, I think, that you really need to focus on arming or at least protecting in some way your church, your Christian school, your homeschool co-op. Now, it's going to look different for different people. If you are literally next to the police station, maybe you don't need as much security uh it's possible they can get there pretty quick you know if you're out in the country oh you may need that M much more so it's going to look different but you need to be thinking through how do we fulfill god's desire for us to protect those who are weak those who are vulnerable those whose lives are threatened so um all right comments on this well there's a lot of comments coming in uh <laughs> well Here's one from Wes. I trust in God. I own a pistol. I don't ever plan to be in a position to have to carry it or use it. If there's, uh, it's there for the purpose of invasion and that's it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I view that, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I hope, I, I think that's the general, here's what I'll say. If you want to carry a pistol or a firearm because you really want to use it, it's probably an indication you shouldn't be carrying it. Honestly, you have you are one of the people that will not be safely handling this and will not have the right motives. Uh, so let's see, man, lots of comments coming in. Um, any questions? I don't see a lot of questions, but this is your last opportunity. If anyone has questions. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, Bill Barr wants everyone to know that this this channel is a monologue and not a conversation. Yes. Yes, Bill, you must be new uh, to the podcast. Yes, it's called Conversation uh, That Matters because uh, the idea is that it, it's obviously not every episode is me talking to someone else. There is one coming tomorrow, which I am. Actually, I do a, quite a few interviews, so it does fit when I'm doing interviews, but um, it's supposed to be also uh, in representing I'm having a conversation with you all. Now, are you able to respond right now? You are through the chat. So you're not able to come on the podcast with me in this particular chat yesterday. If you were a patron, you could have, but, but it is a, hopefully a back and forth. I'm trying to interact as much as I can with the comments. Um, Jonathan, be careful about recommending Matt, Matt Truella. He is a preterist. Yeah. I mean, I, a partial preterist or a full preterist. I haven't heard this before. About now, full preterism, man. I don't want to get into that right now. I really don't. But I'll, I'll just briefly say because um, I know there's a controversy with Gary Demar right now. Who some of you, most of you, probably don't know who that is, and that's okay. Some of you definitely know who he is. But he was, um, I think, the president of American Vision for years. And you know, Gary Demar, I guess now is is either 
going full preterist or has gone full preterist or is kind of being cheeky about it and not telling people what he really believes and saying saying things that indi made indicate that he's full preterist and if that's what he truly believes if it's full preterism and he's not expecting the return of jesus right this is my understanding of this because i i don't run in those circles really but he's he's not uh he, he, he's not looking forward to the imminent return of jesus christ and the consummation of all things then yeah that would put him in in a bad place that would be uh many of the friends i have who are in those circles have no problem calling that false teaching or heresy and i don't see why that would be an inappropriate term to use question biblical limitations on use of the sword that was a good question and how we should consider that as a juror oh wow that's a great question biblical limitations on the use of the sword so Man, and my podcast really wasn't set up for the limitations, but hopefully some of the principles you can see in this chart, um, if I can pull it up here. Yeah, hopefully uh, some of these principles, uh, if, if you were to spend time in these passages, would kind of jump out at you. So um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. There, It is going to be different, I think, from Old Testament to New Testament. And uh, there, there is some question in the Old Testament about the... The nature it was an ancient society so that's really what it is it's an ancient society and um in ancient societies uh for example civil penalties are taken care of in by the whole community they're going to come out and they're going to stone that person right and that is not the way that we have for now quite some time carried out punishments I think up until recently, we at least made public spectacles. You used to have racks. You used to have people, um, you know, hanging, <laughs> hangings, public hangings. Now that's considered to be cruel and barbarous. But I think that was the transition from what used to be things like stoning, where the whole community participated in, in a public execution to, well, now the whole community is not directly participating, but they're indirectly participating through their taxes and through their watching to now... Uh, the community is not even part of it if if anyone ever does die. It's, and this hardly ever happens. The death penalty is hardly ever meted out, which is one of the big problems actually we have. And that's another thing I think conservatives should be on the front lines about. Uh, take the offensive on this, that a lot of our issues stem from we don't have swift justice. But anyway, the, the question was, what if you're on a jury? What are the biblical limitations? I, I would probably need to see the case. You know, what what, what is exactly? Let's Let's, for hypothetical purposes, say it's a murder case, someone killed someone else and the evidence is clear that the, you have the two or three witnesses it, it, it's uh and they, and they are they're not false witnesses this seems authentic um then the bible gives us a principle that if man sheds another man's blood by man his blood shall be shed how is that carried out uh like i said it's been carried out in various ways throughout time today uh, it is in the modern state if it is ever carried out it's carried out through lethal injection or through I think that's really the only way. I mean, there's there still might be some places that do um, uh, that that use bullets. I'm not sure, but uh, but the participation of society in that is being a juror is being is that's the jurors are the representative representatives of the rest of society. So they're fulfilling that function that would have been the whole community in ancient times, and and so they have to carry out their duty. Um, so. Anyway, and I'm not sure what the witness is always more certain than the jury. Justice is best met there. 
I'm not exactly sure what that means. Um, so yeah, as far as other limiters, you know, a lot of this is, is circumstantial. Um, so if you are on a missionary, let's say in China today, we, you're, there's a lot of risks or a Muslim country. There's a lot of risks that, and you have to have the understanding before you go that I, I have a higher purpose here, a spiritual purpose. And in serving that purpose, it means that I forego some of the protection that I would have in the societies that in Western societies, let's say, if you're coming from the West to the East. And, um, and, and that may mean you're not for the purpose of even reaching those people with the gospel and being an example and, and, um, and not, and, and knowing that your witness will be compromised if they see you as a threat and so forth. You, you may forego some of the things that uh, would be standard in other societies, some of the protections. So that, that, that's a different circumstance, but that also is going to be personal choice and, and what God is indicating to you in your life for your purpose. If you're a husband, let's say, let's use another example, living in Arkansas and you are out in a rural area with your family. And, uh, if the police department's half an hour away, uh, it's going to look a lot different. You may have guns all over the place. I've, I've seen this actually funny enough as I've, uh, I used to do furniture repair work and I would travel to all these houses and, um, in, in North Carolina, actually North Carolina once in South Carolina once I had guns kind of pulled on me. Uh, one was a guy actually came out with an AR 15 and I don't think he was from North Carolina. He had no accent. He was, I don't know. He was just like, what are you doing here? And then in, in South Carolina once there was a, a, it was in the middle of the country. Both places were rural. This one was out in the middle of the country though. There was a young man who answered the door and, uh, there was a 12 gauge shotgun that he was holding onto. He hadn't picked it up. He was just kind of, his hand was on it. And I asked him, I said, were you, were you worried? I was kind of like, what? And he goes, oh, I just didn't know who you were. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what's going on out here. Could be maybe there's more crime or something. They feel more vulnerable, but you're going to have guns more readily accessible when you feel an accelerated level of threat. Um, and uh, so anyway. Uh, okay. So we're going to, we're not going to, I'm not going to take the preterist thing. I'm sorry. I can't go any farther down that path. We've been streaming now for a little over an hour. I'm going to end the broadcast, but, uh, please check out voice, uh, sorry, not voice equipping, equipping the persecuted. Uh, you can go to, uh, equipping the persecuted.org. If you're more in interested in checking them out, I'm trying to think if I have other announcements, not really. But uh, more will be coming later this week. I think tomorrow I'm going to be talking about women's ministry with Melissa Lex. We, we did an interview and talked a lot about uh, women's ministries and what's happening in women's ministries that uh, in some women's ministries that we find somewhat concerning where social justice stuff is entering in. Uh, and it's an area that I'm not as well versed on. So look forward to that. Uh, more coming. God bless. Bye now. When you visit Arizona. Time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. 
Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.